Good morning. Before we dive into the word, you guys want to celebrate together for a minute? So it kind of just passed by us without us even realizing what happened, but this last weekend was our four-year anniversary as Rise Church. And last time we did baptisms, on the dot, we saw 200 exactly baptisms in the last four years. So that's really cool. So... And uh, if you're not excited about that, you just don't know. So uh, we're starting a new message series today, uh, which is different. You know, we have three weeks between now and when we kind of start our holiday stuff here at Rise Church. And so I was trying to think of what am I going to do for three weeks. And somebody mentioned that, well, the book of Habakkuk has three chapters. And um, so that's what we're doing. And I've never done a deep dive on the book of Habakkuk. And uh, for a minute, I was sorry. Um, and you'll see why, but I think God's really going to speak some powerful stuff through it, um, and it's going to be a very real, real thing. How many of you would, uh, by show of hands, say you believe God is good? Okay, now put them down. Now don't raise them for this next question, but I bet you if I were to say, how many of you believe God is good even when nothing in your life seems good? I bet a few less hands would go up at least, because we're being real, right? And I know a lot of you would, and, and that's great. Strong faith, good. But this message is really personal for me because I spend a lot of time and have spent a lot of time, countless hours, walking with people through darkness. Um, walking with people through heavy burdens um, and a lot of pain and a lot of difficult stuff. And uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with people who've lost loved ones unexpectedly and I spend time with people who are dying with cancer, and I spend time with people who you know, had great careers going on, but all of a sudden, in one day, they're unemployed and they're losing everything. And uh, whatever these situations look like, I just find that as difficult as it is, it creates this intense spiritual bond between us and between many of you in this room. And um, as I've journeyed with so many different people, over the last decade or so, I've noticed that there's something that's not really talked about very much in churches. So, like usual, we're going to talk about it. Uh, because we don't want to be the church that shies away from the difficult topics. Uh, we want to preach the whole Bible, even the hard parts to understand. And um, so that's kind of what this is about. Um, you know, uh, but before, I, before I take you to a, on a journey here, let me start by just talking about what I've seen. Because I have seen things in my life that prove without a shadow of a doubt that God is undeniable, okay? And I know many of you are shaking your head because you have as well, and you see, I, I've seen God do undeniable miracles. Okay, I've seen people in this very church healed of stage four cancer, without a doubt, okay? I, I, I've, I've seen uh, people who were told by a doctor that they had weeks to live, and it's now years later, and they're still alive. Um, I, I, we have a guy here that I've told this story before, but he had so many stints put in his heart that the doctor said, you can't put another stint in. There's no other place to put it, so next time, that's it. And uh, he goes into the doctor, gets, the, gets it looked at, and the doctor tells him that he's grown a new valve. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I know that sounds insane to some of you, but I believe in the power of God, and I was there to hear the doctor say it, okay? I'm not making this up. Um, and uh, I've heard doctors tell people in this church, that there's no medical explanation for what they're seeing. Um, but, <laughs> there's a but. 
I've also seen people who have far more faith than I do, who received more prayer than you could ever imagine, not be healed of an illness and pass away. And that's real. Uh, in the span of a three-year period, I saw my two closest mentors contract the exact same form of brain cancer and pass away, unrelated to each other. And, you know, they believed God could heal them. They had so much faith. That's why they were my mentors, because I learned so much from them. But they still died. Because, you see, even though I've seen all those undeniable miracles, things that point to the power of God in undeniable ways, guys, I've also walked with people who've lost their job, struggled for a while, and then ended up in a great career that was even better than the one before. But I've also watched people lose their job and as a result of that, lose their entire savings account, their whole retirement account, and their home. I've watched people of great faith who care deeply about their unsaved family members, meaning their family members who do not yet know Jesus Christ, which means they're in danger if they pass from this earth. Pray for them every day for years until they finally accept Christ. 20 years later, they accepted Christ. But I've also watched people pray for their loved ones for many years for their salvation and see that person pass away without knowing Jesus Christ, which is a tragedy. I've walked with people whose loved ones committed suicide. I've walked with people who had horrific things happen to their children. I've walked with people whose children ended up in jail because of horrific things they did and not because the parents even did anything wrong. We had someone dear to us years ago um, in a prior church who... Uh, was really close to us and served alongside us, try for years to conceive a child. And uh, the doctor said it couldn't happen. They, couldn't, they wanted a child so bad, and uh, they couldn't conceive a child. And I remember the day that he showed up, and, uh, and his wife was with him, and, and they shared with us that they were pregnant. And we cried, and we hugged, tears of joy, right? And we celebrated. And then I remember two months later, when they showed up, same couple, and we were hugging and crying different kinds of tears because they had lost the child. And I prayed for them after that that they would heal and get pregnant again. They never did. And these are just a few examples that I'm trying to throw out there of, of many that as I've walked through some of these situations, I'm going to be really real and raw with you this morning. Um, I've gotten to a place in some of those situations where, man, it really hurts. Can we be that real, that life can hurt? You know, sometimes we just need to take off the mask, stop being a phony, and admit what's real. <laughs> we try to do that here. And in some of those situations, I started to ask questions, even questions of God. You know, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why is this level of suffering happen? Why are you letting this happen? This just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. I don't understand. And so now we come to Habakkuk. Let's talk about Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. <laughs> Sounds like you coughed up a furball. Habakkuk. Habakkuk uh, is an Old uh, Testament minor prophet. Everybody say minor prophet. He was not a major prophet. He was always in the minor leagues. He never got to play major league. That was a really bad joke, but it doesn't get any better. Um, he lived and wrote about 600 years before the birth of Christ. He was a very different prophet from the others that we read about because in the Bible, when you read about the prophets, Almost every one of them was, the, the reason they were a prophet is they would hear from God and then they would speak what they heard from God to the people. Habakkuk is different. 
He's kind of the reverse of that if you read this book because Habakkuk is not going to the people and sharing what God said. In this first chapter especially, he's actually speaking to God on behalf of the people. You see, it's reversed. And so what's happening in the kingdom of Judah at this time, they'd been very blessed, uh, but now there's corruption and there's deception, and instead of prospering, the kingdom's really hurting. Uh, They're in poverty. And so Habakkuk, this prophet of God, just unleashes on God on behalf of the people who are hurting. And 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk is asking the very same question that many of you in this room have asked, that I've asked at certain points in my life. Why doesn't God seem fair? God, I know you could do something about this, but I don't see you doing something about this, and I don't understand. Asking God why. Why? So Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to go through verse by verse the entire book over the next three weeks. There's three chapters in the book of Habakkuk, and today we're in chapter 1. Verse 1, I'm not going to read to you, but essentially it says he received a prophecy from God. Okay, the Hebrew word that's used there in the original language, it's actually more accurate to say he received an utterance. So it means an utterance or a doom, a burden. So not just a prophecy, he receives a hard word from God. It's a dooming prophetic word. It's a burden. It's a weight that they have to carry. So he receives this, and then he goes to God on behalf of the people, and he asks a question of God in verse 2, if you want to follow along. It says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You know what I'm saying? Why don't you heal my family member? Why don't you fix my marriage? Why don't you provide me with a job? Whatever it is for you. And what I love about Habakkuk is he's just so raw and he's so real. And and really his name tells the story. I looked up the meaning of the name Habakkuk and the name Habakkuk literally means to embrace and to wrestle. And those are two different things. So I find that interesting and I'm going to get back to that in a second. See, Habakkuk is doing everything he can in this scenario to embrace who he knows God to be, but because of what he sees happening around him, he's really struggling to embrace who he thinks God is and who he knows him to be. So now, uh, let me give you a warning. Everybody say, oh, as if this wasn't a heavy enough sermon already. A lot of pastors refer to the typical type of sermon that we do in church as a sitcom sermon. Okay, you remember sitcoms? Raise your hand if you've seen a sitcom or if you watched sitcoms growing up. Okay, so for some of you that are older than me, you know, maybe it was uh, I Love Lucy, right? Or some years later, maybe it was the Brady Bunch. Or, uh, you know, people that were my generation, it was probably more Full House, Family Matters, right? Then later, Home Improvement, see some nods. And if you're still a child, it was like Friends or The Office, right? Okay, if you're still that young. But sitcoms. And, uh, So what happens in a sitcom? Here's what happens in a sitcom. In a sitcom, it always starts with a problem or a tension, and then 30 minutes later, with commercial breaks, the whole problem's solved. Okay? You have to start with a tension or a problem because that's where laughter comes from. That's where true comedy comes from. But then there's a solution, and they solve it by the end, and everybody's happy, and they're clapping, and it's just a, a good time. So that's how a lot of sermons are. A lot of sermons, and it's not a bad thing, it's a very effective way to communicate the Word of God because God's Word is full of solutions to our problems. It really is. Not every problem, but it's full of solutions to our problems, okay? And so 
typically what a pastor does, including myself, and it's a good thing, is get up here and we start with a tension or a problem that we're facing, and then we find the solution in the Word of God. We take it, we leave on Sunday, we go, hopefully, if you're doing it, apply it to your life, and you see some changes happen, okay? And you go have a dinner, you go have lunch or whatever. So this sermon today uh, is not a sitcom. I'm just warning you. It's because what tends to happen in a, in a sermon like that is something like this. Let's, let's say you like your job. You love your job. It's the best job you've ever had. And then you lose your job. You're devastated. You're, you're, you're heartbroken. So you pray and you ask God to help you. So then God gives you a better job really quickly. And it's one with benefits. And, and you sit by a really cute single guy because you're a single girl and you realize, oh, he's the, his father's the owner of the company. And then, and then he inherits it. When he passes away, you get rich and retire at 35, right? That's a sitcom. Just God gives you a blessing. Boom. This is not a sitcom. Um, and, and I would also submit that real life is not a sitcom. Uh, in real life, everything is not resolved typically in 30 minutes or less. Uh, in real life, sometimes things are not resolved in even 30 days or even 30 years sometimes. It takes that long. In real life, sometimes you lose your job and you do not get a better job and you don't get a job for a long time, and even maybe you're highly educated and you're gonna have to do something that's below your skill level. You know, Sometimes that happens. Sometimes in real life you have a good marriage and you really love your spouse and then all of a sudden your spouse betrays you and your spouse doesn't own what your spouse did but instead blames you for what you didn't do and leaves you and then you're all alone. Sometimes that is real life. Sometimes in real life you love your life. You love your life so much and then all of a sudden you get sick and a doctor gives you a bad report that you have cancer. And so you go to war against cancer and you fight it with everything you've got and you have faith and you fight it and you beat it. And you're thanking God and you're praising God because cancer's gone and then two years later it comes back. That's real life sometimes. You're wrestling with all these things and all this bad stuff that's happening in your life and in those around you and at the same time, you're trying to embrace this God who you truly believe is good. And then what usually happens is some well-meaning Christian comes along, and they don't mean anything by it. You know, they have a good heart about it. But they come to you in the middle of your trial, the middle of this difficult, painful thing that you're walking through, and they simply say to you, hey, God's in control. Just let go and let God. And again, their heart may be good when they say it, but the more that they tell you to let go and let God as you're walking through something they've never walked through, the more you want to do what the Bible says and lay your hands on them. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> because their intentions may be good, but at this moment, if you're being real, your faith just feels raw and wrecked and broken and painful. And you're trying to wrestle through that. And God doesn't, God doesn't always feel good in those moments. God is always good, but it doesn't always feel good because you know that he could do something about your situation and he's not doing it, and you don't understand why. So this guy Habakkuk, that's what he feels like right now as he's talking to God. I wanted to paint that picture for you. So he asks a question of God in verse 3. Let's continue. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and there's conflict. It abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. In other words, God, I don't really even think what you're doing is right. 
So what are his problems with God? He's not speaking to the people on behalf of God. Remember, he's speaking to God on behalf of the people in this one. So he's actually got the very same problems with God that many of us have had or some of you have today. Number one, he says, you don't seem to really care, God. It doesn't seem like you care. You're, you allow this suffering to happen, all these things. Number two, God, you aren't doing much even though you could. And number three, I don't understand, God, because what you're doing doesn't really seem fair. How many of you will be this honest to put your hand up when I ask this question? How many of you have ever felt, in just, even if it's just one brief moment, if I was God, I, could do it, I would do it differently? Okay. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do that. He'll strike me dead. <laughs> that's not how it works. If that's you, polish your halo and just be that then. Because um, the truth is, sometimes if we're being real, we want to know, God, are you paying attention? Because this is difficult. And there's a lot of pain here. Here's a question. Is it okay to question God? Is it okay to push back on God? Is that wrong or unholy or, or unfair? Did you know that about a third of the Psalms in here are, are songs of lament? They're cries out to God about pain. People crying out in their anguish. That's a whole third of the Psalms. Or songs sung in the middle of trials that people don't understand. You know, several books of the Bible almost deal with this type of topic in, in their entirety. Right? Lamentations. Ecclesiastes. Jeremiah. Job. Entire books about confusion and what appears to be unjust suffering and that's how they're seeing it and you know i'll take it further even to the new testament even jesus cried out to his father and said why have you why have you forsaken me in that moment on the cross where it implies that god had to look away because he took all of our sins on his back while he was on that cross and god could not look at that and he's crying out to god himself his own why have you forsaken me I did everything right. I was perfect. I was blameless. I was sinless. Why have you forsaken me? Let me explain it to you this way. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point you've had some version of this story. Okay, the details might be different, but this was my story. This is a lot of people in this room's story. So you're hurting or life is good or whatever. There's all kinds of different scenarios we grow up with. But eventually you get to a point where you realize something's missing and you don't realize what it is. And you're trying to seek that, what it is, and figure out what it is, and you just can't seem to find what it is. But, you know, so then, you know, you feel like there's more to life, though. There's got to be more to life than this. And so you end up at a church because somebody invites you, or somebody shares their faith with you at work, or, or you hear a song, or the Spirit of God touches you, or whatever. Someone prays for you, and, and so then, you, so you see something. You have a trial, you have a tragedy, and you recognize you're doing life without God, whatever it is, and you call on Jesus to experience his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Now in that moment, you're made new. And you're passionate and you're excited because God's doing something in your life. He saved you. You realize the magnitude of what he has done for you when you did not deserve that. He gave you that grace. And so now you're on the mountaintop all of a sudden and you go to church and it's like every sermon you hear, it's like God speaking directly to you. And you get in the car and you hear the song and it's your favorite song, the first one that comes on. And you get to Walmart and there's a parking lot up, there's a parking space up front which some of you have told me apparently is God blessing you. I don't think, I, you're over-spiritualizing it, I think. Um, that's a little too much for me. And you pray, and he answers your prayer within a day, and you're like on this mountaintop experience. Well, then life starts to happen, and some things happen that aren't so good, because that's real life. 
and some bad things happen and you go to church and the sermon was just, eh. You know, I mean, it was okay, but it was probably meant for somebody else because it didn't really speak to me like it used to. Get in the car, you don't like the song, you turn it off, you go to Walmart, you can't find a parking space, you blame God. <laughs> some of you do that too. Can I be real? That's not worthy of a prayer request card. Can I be that real? (laughs) So then you pray a prayer and God doesn't answer the prayer right away. Or maybe at all. And then some bad stuff starts to happen in your life. And grandma gets sick and she doesn't recover. And somebody in your family passes away. And your boyfriend who called himself a Christian cheats on you and turns you away from everything you thought you believed or the person that you looked up to the most and admired as a follower of Jesus Christ does some horrific thing and then all of a sudden you have no trust for anybody who's a Christian anymore. The doctor gives you news or gives you a report that you never thought you deserved. Whatever it is, but it happens to all of us and this is real life. And so what happens is at some point as this stuff starts to happen, some of us have this moment where we have what many call a crisis of belief. God, if you're so good, why am I not here? Why am I here? God, if they're saying you're so good, why am I not on the mountaintop? Why am I still down here in the valley? God, if you're so good as they say you are, and as I've been told you are, and as I've even seen you are, why am I walking through so much pain? Do you even care? And so at this point, in a crisis of belief, The problem is people typically think they have one of two options. That's the problem. So typically, there's two two choices people veer toward. One of them is what a lot of people do with good intentions. They just deny the bad. Oh, this I didn't get that doctor report. It didn't happen. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be healed. And they don't go to the doctor. They don't do anything. And then they pass away. Not realizing that God sometimes uses medicine to heal people. (laughs) This isn't happening. You know, God's still good. Nothing bad's happening to me. It's okay. My marriage is fine. It's not on the rocks like I thought it was last week. It's fine. I'm denying it. I'm in denial. I'm in denial. I'm just going to kind of pretend that, you know, I'm up here when I'm not. I'm down here and I'm going to deny, deny, deny. I'm going to pretend grandma's not sick. I'm going to pretend that no bad stuff happens in my life. That's option one. The second option that a lot of people veer toward is, well, you know what? If I'm here and not here, then God must not be good. If I'm here and not here where I should be, where they told me I'd be, because, you know, they said when you give your life to Christ, everything is wonderful all the time. (laughs) It's not what it says. And they say, they just walk away. Forget it all. I'm walking away from, I tried church, I tried God, I tried the Bible, I tried Jesus, forget it. And they walk away. They're out. The problem is they think those are the only two options. And what I'm about to share with you is what we learn in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. There's not two options. There's the third option. And the third option is this. In the middle of the pain, you wrestle. I don't get it, God. I'm confused. But I'm going to wrestle through it. And at the same time, you embrace him. Even in your confusion. Even in your pain. The Bible doesn't say God will remove all pain from your life this side of eternity. It says he'll be with you every step of the way through the pain. And so, when you do this, this third option, life's going to get all better, right? Not necessarily. Oftentimes it doesn't. 
Sometimes it continues to get worse, and when it gets worse, you often do what James said in James chapter 1, where he said in the first chapter, you consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It doesn't say living on the mountaintop constantly develops perseverance. It says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You see? And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, but you've got to walk through that sometimes for that. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live constantly on the mountaintop. It's to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. It doesn't take much faith to live on the mountaintop your whole life without ever coming down. <laughs> Everything's going great. It's all wonderful. There's no pain at all. That's not even real life. Even with Christ, that's not real life. In fact, didn't he say it's in the fellowship of his sufferings where we find the power of the resurrection? I would even argue, and this is going to be blunt, that those who've never walked through a valley or who only live on mountaintops are either hiding behind a mask or they don't have true intimacy with God. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It doesn't say, because I'm on the mountaintop, I fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is my story. It's, it's many of your story. We've all got a version of this. You know, I grew up in church, and a lot of it made a lot of sense to me. In fact, I would even say that for a while, I thought it all made sense to me. But as I got older, some of the things that I thought made sense stopped making sense to me. And so in college, I made some bad choices, and I started hurting a little bit, and I came back around, I called on Jesus. Boom. It was an amazing moment. It was a mountaintop experience. I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. New life. I felt changed. I felt renewed. I felt passionate about serving him. In fact, decided to change my direction, my path, and, and go serve the local church. Become a pastor. Leave a job that, that was paying really well for something that didn't pay well. Decided to do that. So, of course, I have to go to seminary. So, I go to seminary. I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Most people don't know this, but some seminaries are full of professors who teach all this, and every single one of them is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. It's not true of all seminaries. There are actually seminaries where you go to them, and yeah, the majority of the professors actually believe everything that they're teaching, but there's a few that don't. And I ended up in one of those classes and some of you may remember this if you've been on a similar path as me because it's talked about in a lot of different circles. But there was something at one point called the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar, it was even on the cover of Time Magazine at one point, and there were these biblical scholars that got together and they decided that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus, the red letters in your Bible, which refer to the words of Jesus, the words Jesus himself spoke, they decided he didn't speak all of them. And they came to this outlandish conclusion through all these weird formulas that, okay, we're going to change the Bible so the red letters are the ones he definitely spoke, the pink letters are the ones he might have spoke, the gray ones he most likely didn't, and the black ones he definitely didn't. I know. Well, I ended up having to read that book, and so in the middle of serving God, a guy who thought he had tremendous faith close to God, believed in God, found myself in a little crisis of belief. 
And it was like, uh-oh, is this stuff true? Because everything you read on the internet's true, right? Everything you hear in the news is true too, right? Don't be so naive. But at the same time, to tell you that I wasn't a little scared um, would be one of the biggest understatements of my life because I was questioning and I was having a lot of doubts and I was, you know, is God's word not true? Is what these guys are saying true? Which one's true? Should I just say forget about it? Or should I continue to lean in and embrace God while wrestling through it, which thank God is what I chose to do? I'd never encountered something like this before, but I chose to wrestle through it. I decided not to give up, wrestled, embraced, went to my next class and my next class and read this book and read that book and studied this and studied this and studied this, the history, the context, the science, all of it. And now I have 100% no doubt in my mind. And some of you in the room who consider yourselves a lot more intellectual, keep seeking. If you have those questions, don't walk away. Wrestle through those questions. You'll end up at the same place I am if you don't quit and if you keep looking in the right places. Everything you read is not true. Everything you hear is not true. I was so convinced by the end after I'd heard both sides that my faith went from here to here. And today, here's my point, the reason that my faith is here is not because I stayed here every second for the last 15 years after that. Okay? The reason that my faith is here is because I continued to wrestle and embrace at the same time through the valleys and I came out stronger every single time. If I'd stayed up here, there wouldn't have been any strengthening. I had to do this. That was my path. And so if I'm in a crisis of belief or I'm fighting through something dark or something painful or going through something that doesn't seem fair or not seeing God answer my prayer in the way that I think he should and through all of that, if I'm still finding a new level of intimacy with God, it's not because I deny it. It's not because I walk away either. It's because I continue to embrace and wrestle through it. And so there's somebody here, this is what you need to do. You need to not choose one or the other. You need to do both and. It's a both and scenario. So you're in a crisis of belief. We all get there at some point. This is Habakkuk, right? God doesn't seem fair. I don't understand. So guess what God does now? God responds to him, and this is where it gets exciting. Are you ready for God's response? Say, I'm ready. Are you really ready? Mary is, okay. This is going to blow you away. Okay, this is what God says. Here's God's response. God, I don't understand. You don't seem fair. Why is this happening? Here's what God says. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you will not believe even if you were told. Finally, God, you're going to do what's right. That's what he's thinking probably, right? You're going to relieve the pain. We're going to be prosperous and successful again. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be utterly amazed, God. You're going to do something that we wouldn't even believe even if you, you told us what it was. Yes. So, in my sitcom sermon, this is what I would tell you next. I would probably tell a story like I've told many times before, but it's a story that, you know, is nice and warm and fuzzy and always has a good ending. I spent several years before I became a pastor flying around the country and speaking at different churches and different events and stuff like that. And for a long time, because you know, I, I didn't have any money, I, I would only fly coach class, right? How many have been in coach class? Zero leg room for a six foot four guy. Horribly uncomfortable, especially if you're in the middle seat. But fine, right? But once you rack up enough miles, on your frequent flyer program, 
you become what they call elite, which is really cool to be called elite. So when you're elite, they start upgrading you every once in a while for free to first class. And let me tell you, first class is a spiritual experience. <laughs> the seat doesn't just recline like that, it reclines like that, okay? The leg room is like straight out of heaven. Um, they don't just come by with the one beverage service, they wait on you the entire flight, anything you need. The food is better, it, you know, you got room, nobody's bugging you, <laughs> it's a great experience. Oh, even when they bring you the, the peanuts, they warm your nuts. <laughs> you got a fifth grade mind. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> My wife's shaking her head at me. <laughs> it's true though, in first class your nuts are warmed. I'm a grown man with a third grade mind, it's incredible. And so then another thing that I would always do in a sermon like that is I would then take that illustration, that story, and now I would use it to speak to the single ladies in the room. All the single ladies, right? And I would say, you know what? You complain a lot about not having Mr. Right, but that's because you're constantly with Mr. Wrong, right? And if you're with Mr. Wrong, what's Mr. Right gonna do when he comes along? You're not available. And then you're also getting really hurt when Mr. Wrong dumps you and hurts your feelings, but what I want you to know is the reason he dumps you in the first place is because God has so much better for you. He has so much better waiting for you, and if you'll just become the woman of God that he's calling you to be, then Mr. Wright will probably come along. And so if he dumped you, that just meant that he was coach class. God's got first class coming. You see how I did that? Worked that little magic? That's sitcom sermon. But that's not what this sermon is. It's not gonna be as fluffy as that. So God says, are you ready for this? So I'm about to intervene and you're gonna be amazed. It's gonna be unlike anything you've ever seen before even if I told you. And then God tells him he's gonna use the Babylonians. And if you know the history and the context of this time in history, you know that the Babylonians were their worst enemies. Those are the bad guys. And God says this, are you ready? You're not gonna believe what I'm gonna do. I'm raising up your enemies. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're feared and dreaded people. They all come intent on violence. See, this is not a feel-good story. God basically says, you think it's bad now, it's about to get worse, and I'm, not only that, but I'm gonna use your enemies to bring justice on your people. That doesn't make for good preaching. That doesn't make for, hey, come back to church next week. <laughs> And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. But then the question is, what do you do when you find yourself there? Because a lot of people in this room have found themselves there. Some of you are there right now. What does a mature believer do when they find themselves in this situation? Here's the last point. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God at the same time. You can do it at the same time. It's a both and situation. By the way, did you know that they've studied this in depth the last two years? And the reason in some parts of the country where so, the reason so many young people are walking away from the church they found is because those churches are not allowing them to ask questions that they have in their minds. And they're telling them, you don't get to ask those questions, just believe this. Heck no. We're all about questions here. You, want, you have a question, you come ask us. We'll walk through it with you. We'll wrestle through it with you. It's okay to have questions. 
That's how your faith is made stronger, is by asking questions, but not leaving them there, wrestling through them. So I want you to walk, watch as Habakkuk does this. So he's trying to embrace God, but at the same time he's wrestling and he's, he's confused, okay? Watch how this plays out. I want you to see this and feel it. So in verse 12, he embraces, Lord, are you not from everlasting? See, I'm embracing you, God. You see that? My God, my Holy One, you'll never die. I'm embracing you. But God, you've appointed our enemies to execute judgment. Okay, now I'm wrestling. You are my rock I'm embracing. But you've ordained them to punish. I'm wrestling, God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. I love you, God. I'm embracing. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I'm still embracing. But why then do you tolerate the treacherous? I'm wrestling. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those righteous, more righteous than themselves? I'm trying to embrace, but I'm trying to wrestle. See, I'm doing both at the same time. Listen to me. If you're there right now, what I want you to know is that God understands your pain. Okay, that's the first thing you need to understand. You're not alone. He understands your pain. The other thing you need to know, which you might have been taught differently, but they're wrong. He welcomes your questions. God welcomes your questions. And here's another part that's a little more forward. I am convinced that God would even rather have you yell at him than walk away from him because he loves you that much. I was talking to a guy the other night who's having a little bit of a crisis of belief. And he actually got baptized here last year. And he told me I could share this. But he's trying to decide as he wrestles through his faith now if he still believes any of it at all. But you know what? The way it played out is after he got baptized, life got harder. Some rough things happened in his life. Some bad started to happen around him. And so he had this mountaintop experience. He got baptized. He felt cleansed, renewed, excited about his faith. And then within a week, all this hard stuff started happening in his life. And so instead of wrestling and embracing like I'm talking about, he walked away from the community and the life of the church and just started wrestling without the embracing. It's not the right answer. It's not the right option. I'm telling you, you need to do both. When you hit the wall, when you hit a crisis of belief, don't deny your doubts and pretend they're not there, but also don't run from God and the only community that can help you either. Let your doubts drive you to continue to embrace even when you wrestle with God. You can do both. And so if that's you, I have some closing words for you. What if being honest and acknowledging your doubts is actually your first step to building a deeper faith. But you're skipping that step by denying that you have any. What if you wrestling through those doubts is the part that's going to bring you to a deeper place with the Lord? Another question. What if embracing your hidden questions that you don't share with anybody is the thing that opens the door for a more mature knowledge of God? But you're not asking them. What if drawing closer to God, developing a, a more genuine intimacy with Him, requires that you first bear something that seems unbearable? That's a tough one. But we see it time and time again. To hear Him through an ominous utterance, to hear Him through the darkness, to hear Him through a moment of doom where He still pr proves Himself faithful, even in the darkest moment. To embrace His strength when you're weak, by carrying a burden. Last question. 
what if sometimes it takes real pain before you can come to abide in a true living hope? Because that's the way I read it sometimes. And so let me tell you more than you may care to know about this journey. What a lot of people don't understand is that you or they or somebody else was misinformed when they first came to Christ about what it truly looks like to follow Jesus. What it truly looks like. They were told that, well, when you give your life to Jesus, it's a constant mountaintop experience. And that moment where you cry out to God with everything in you and you pray those prayers and still nothing is fixed sometimes. And we wait for the miracle story and he's not showing up in the way we thought he would. And, you know, he's sick and he's still sick. And I prayed for my son to come back to God and he didn't yet. And I prayed for the salvation of my father and he hasn't come around yet. Sometimes those prayers are answered. Sometimes those miracles happen. We see them all the time. But other times he doesn't come to faith. Other times they're not healed. Other times it still hurts. Habakkuk. We're still in chapter one. There's three chapters. I'm going to be blunt with you. Chapter two is not much better. But you need to be here every week to get to chapter three. Because the whole picture in Habakkuk is more powerful than you could ever imagine. I'm learning, and I can't wait to share it with you. So you ready for the good ending of the sermon? There's not one. (laughs) It's chapter one. It's not a sitcom. It's real life. We're talking about real life here. I will pray for you, though, in a way that fills you with hope. How about that? Father, I just want to pray for those in the room who find themselves in chapter 1. They're questioning you. They're asking questions. They're saying, why, God? They're suffering. They're walking through confusion or doubt or or darkness, or something painful. God, would you help them walk out of here and embrace your word that they've received today, which is to embrace you while they wrestle. That it's a both and. And guys, today I have a really heavy heart for those who need prayer. And so if you do find yourself in that place right now, and you're willing to be that honest and I just want to pray for you personally. Would you just lift your hand in the air? Hands all over the room. Yeah. Okay. God, I just thank you that that you have given us this book. And God, that it gives us permission to just sometimes tell you that we don't like it, that we don't understand, that we don't even agree. God, that you're big enough to handle that. But even in the middle of the valley, God, would you just teach us and help us to cling to your character, that you are good, that it is your nature, it is who you are at the core. God, to do that difficult thing, which is to believe that you are so good, even when our life is not. And So God, I I pray for the people who feel like they've tried, they've tried, and they just want to walk away. God, I pray that they wouldn't walk away because that would be one of the biggest mistakes they've ever made. So help them, God, not to let their doubts drive them away from you, but to enable them to allow their doubts to drive them to you 
God, give them faith. Give them the courage to not pretend, to not wear that mask, but to be real, to be raw. And that even while they're wrestling, God, would you just help them to continue to trust and embrace? As you keep praying today, there's there's some in the room who are hurting. And there's some that are coming to a place where they realize that you're just in a really low spot. And uh, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God caused that. But I will tell you that I do believe that sometimes God allows us to end up in a place that's so low that the only way we can look is up. And the only solution is to turn to Him and rely on Him. That God will, you know, (laughs) sometimes people say, well, God will never let you experience more than you can handle. That is one of the worst misinterpretations of Scripture I've ever heard. That's not what it says. Of course God will give you more than you can handle. He's done that to me many times. (laughs) What that verse actually says is God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's always a way out when you're tempted. There's always a way of escape rather than to sin. He gives you a way out even if it's hard. That's what that verse actually means. We all sometimes have to walk through more than we can bear. This is a broken planet. And some of you right now are like me at one point in my life where you just realize, man, I'm missing the boat. There's something missing here. And my sin's catching up to me and there's just a lot of pain and heartache and I feel guilty and I feel alone or I feel isolated or dirty or whatever it is that you feel and like you can't be good enough. And you know what? You're right. You can't be good enough. None of us can. But He was good enough for any bad you've ever done to make up for that. You see, Jesus, it says, who was in every way without sin, died in our place on the cross and took our sin and all the brokenness on Himself so we could be made whole. And He did that for you because He loved... Okay, so imagine this. It's dark he dies. Jesus dies. I always like to tie whatever Old Testament passage we're in to Jesus because it all points to him, every single part. So Jesus dies. Where's God? It's dark. He's dead. The second day, chapter 2, he's still dead. Chapter 3, though, guess what? The stone's rolled away. He's not in there. He's risen from the dead. Why? So that anyone, and that includes you, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you or how bad you're hurting. Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And there's some of you, you know it, you sense it, you feel it. It's undeniable. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, wipe those tears away for a moment. And just know that He cares. And He's here. And despite your circumstances, He is good and He wants to give you good and perfect gifts. And so if that's you today and you want to surrender to Jesus Christ, the only thing that can ever make you whole, just lift your hand in the air right now. Let me know. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Okay. All right, brother. 
we're going to pray. And guys, there's nothing magical about these words, but the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And at Rise Church, we don't allow anybody to pray alone. We all pray out loud together for the sake of those that might be praying it for the first time. So pray together. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is your son and he died for me. So take my life. Forgive my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you and follow you every day of my life. I trust you. I embrace you. I'm willing to wrestle. Use me to show your love. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name. I hope that you will stand and praise the one true God and shout and give him all the glory that he deserves.